to do some reading. If you would like to stay ahead of the game, if you would like to know where this is going next, good luck. But for reference sake, there are seven chapters of Scripture that you could be reading over the next few weeks. Genesis chapter 25 through 31. And uh, most of all of what I'm going to be saying this morning, hopefully, is going to come from the early parts of that, uh, that section. But Genesis 25 through 31 will give you a great background into uh, where we're going with this series. And today sets the tone. I just sat through the worship team rehearsal this morning and some of the music that came out has just, is just unbelievably uh, exciting to me. And, and I thought, oh, how that's all going to just, just blend with this theme that we're going to be on this morning. So hopefully as we move into it, we're just going to give it a little time. You may not be right there, right at the start, and that's fine. But if you'd like to read ahead, I'd say you select those seven chapters. If you get a chance to get through them, you might want to reread them. Uh, if you get the time to better understand what's being taught and caught uh, in this series, The Heel Holder. Um, Donald Trump had, or I don't know, maybe still has a TV show. Does anybody know what it's called? The Apprentice. Is that still on? Is that still? I don't know. I, I never saw it. Um, maybe a little bit of it once. Uh, I know it got re- it, it. It really got high ratings for quite a while, and I don't know where it is now in the ratings. Uh, nor do I care. But in the past few years, I know that's uh, that's been one of those ones that um, people seem to rearrange their schedule so they can see it, and I understand that. I think I'd, I've watched little pieces, snippets of it probably uh, twice. And uh, each time I'd, I've seen it or any time I've heard about this it, or see like a commercial for it, it makes me really glad that I'm not working in that type of atmosphere. Because talk about a, a, a stab-in-the-back, dog-eat-dog world. I mean, if that's what it takes to get ahead, to lie and to slander and to be downright rude to your coworkers, then I wonder who among us with the spirit of forgiveness and kindness and brotherly love, would ever want that type of job? Why would you ever subject yourself to that? Now, I set out that as a modern-day backdrop. Because as I begin this coming series on the life of a, a, a wonderful man of Scripture, and I say wonderful because uh, it's wonderful what God did through him, and what God will do through us if we're open to him. Um, And and I speak of none other than the man Jacob. He takes us to sort of a similar situation as the apprentice. I don't think the Jacob of Scripture was ever on the apprentice. I I don't know that, but uh, I'm guessing he wasn't. But Isaac seems to be the godly version of Donald Trump without the hairspray. And, uh, and without the arrogance. And uh, I like a lot of Donald Trump's uh, position on a lot of things, but uh, I think he needs to get over some of that other stuff. As Isaac's twins, Esau and Jacob, are both after one prize in life. And the prize is the blessing. Now, this blessing was really a very unique thing. Matter of fact, it's unique to all of Scripture. Matter of fact, every theological article from here on out is going to be based 
on what happens in these chapters. So it's very important that we understand this and we see the background. It carries with it the promise not only of inheriting the promised land, but also the being the line for the promised Savior. It seems completely foreign to me or to you probably as we just read it superficially because in some sense, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't even relate to today. But it was just a matter of words spoken. When we say to somebody, oh, man, I hope you, ha- I hope you strike it rich. Or we say to somebody, I know a lot of people say this a lot of times, it's said over and over every day, oh, have a nice day. You know what have a nice day means, right? Absolutely nothing, right. But these are just empty wishes, no power behind them at all. Like if you say to someone, geez, have a nice day, you have no power to make sure they have a nice day. You can't, just by saying have a nice day, you can't assure them they're going to have a nice day. Uh, And so when Isaac, the patriarch of God, now Isaac's the father, Jacob and Esau are the sons. We're going to meet them all in just a few minutes. But when Isaac, who's the patriarch, spoke these words, they were regarded and believed to be the very words of God. And they also had the power of God behind them. So Isaac was the type of guy that you wish had worked at the cash register at the local supermarket so that he could say to you, have a nice day. Because when he spoke, that was the word of God, and it was empowered by the Spirit of God. That we have to set as our framework and our platform. This was not superstitious belief. Time and history would prove how God's blessings indeed were guaranteed through the words of Isaac. And and how would this all turn out? And who would actually get the blessing? And what can we learn from it? And we're going to try to see all that as we consider the theme. And, And the theme is the heel holder. But today, our theme is simply a question, and it's this. How can I pursue the blessing? Well, let's take a look at it from three angles. And the first is, my question is, what does the law say? Put yourself in Isaac's shoes, or sandals. I mean, you've got the most important blessing. Matter of fact, Isaac is holding in his hands the future of mankind. He's holding the future of the world. The outcropping of this story that I'm going to share with you today is still being played out very, very much on the world stage today. And all the promises and all the guarantees and all the words that came out of this and will come out of it as we study it, we'll see, have come to fruition in our day and are still coming and will in the last days. So we put ourselves in in Isaac's uh, shoes, so to speak. He has this unbelievable power. He has the most important blessing. He has the future of the world right on the tip of his tongue. And the last thing you would want to do is throw a pearl before a swine. Wow, what a responsibility. Isaac has a 50-50 chance. And if you look at it merely as a random act of getting it right, if you think of just a random act, he's going to 
He's going to perform, and he might get it right, or he might not get it right. Uh, you, you don't want to leave anything to happenstance when the future of the world is in your hands. He had to choose between the giving of the gift to Esau or to Jacob. And how would he know even which of those sons would receive the blessing? And that's a real good question. And we start looking at these two boys. By the way, these are Abraham and Sarah's grandsons. So just so that you know, we're keeping it in the family and everybody's got it figured out. I want you to go first to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at some verses there, beginning at verse 24. I want to read 24, 25, and 26. So Genesis 25. We're going to jump around this morning in Genesis 25. We're going over to 27. We're coming back to 26. We're coming back to 25. So if you have your Bible or your um, your electronic device, whatever you're following on, just be ready to move around a little bit. So it says, when the time came for her, so you probably want to know who her is. That's Rebecca, okay, Isaac's wife. When it came time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And the word Esau, in in that original language, meant red and hairy. It's okay, you go ahead. Every word in Scripture has a meaning from the original language. And this is a phenomenal study, folks, to not just read some Bible verses, but to find out what do those names mean. Because every name was descriptive. Every name had a background and had a reason for being used. And so this was Red and Harry, or we'll just call him Esau. Now, after this, his brother came out. Well, how did he come out? With his, say with me, with his hand. Okay? So Esau's born first, firstborn twin, and then comes Jacob, and Jacob is the... Correct. You've all been listening real carefully. The heel holder. Duh. So he's grasping Esau's heel. Now, now look, this is not going to be complicated, this whole series. It's going to be very, very down to earth so we can all get a practical application. So you've got to, you know, just, just coast with me here and don't complicate it in your mind. Say, I can't understand this. I don't remember all these. I don't know. So he was named Jacob. And the word Jacob means... Heel grasper or grabber, trickster, supplanter. Some people even said cheater, but it's not a real favorable meaning, the translation from the original. Isaac was, when I posit that, just help me, okay? I'm trying to get you to read it because I don't see anybody with their Bible open. A few of you got, well, a few Bibles and a few electronic devices, but Isaac was, when Rebecca gave birth to them. Okay? So keep that in mind. All these ages, too, are going to be significant as we go along. Um, okay, so we're, we've met Esau, we've met Jacob, and from the very birth of those two boys, Esau then had what we call inherited advantages over Jacob. And there are a few reasons. First off, Esau was a manly boy. He was all hairy and ruddy, He was a man's boy. No sissy here. 
And he also had the law of God on his side. Let me explain. Later on, through Moses, God wrote this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verses 15 through 17, we read, If a man has two wives, he's an idiot. No, uh, and, and he loves one but not the other. And, and having two wives then was an acceptable custom. Uh, and he loves one but not the other. And both bear him sons. But the firstborn is the wife, is the son of the wife he does not love. You following it so far? All right, good. Let's keep going. When he wills his property to his sons, he must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the wife, wife he loves in preference to his actual firstborn, the son of the wife he does not love. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. So the law of God is the right of the firstborn is always the right of the firstborn. All right? And so... um, we're going to see a pattern here, and it's starting to develop, and we're going to land the plane. We're going to wait for the blue lights. Everything's going to be fine. Just stay with us and stay on course. So, this law had already been practiced in principle. This had been practiced throughout the ages. This was not something new. This was the law of Moses. The firstborn child, and, and by the way, back then, I almost hesitate to go here, but I'm going to say it, uh, Firstborn children were always sons. What I mean, you could have five daughters and then a son. The son is the firstborn. In other words, he will get the inheritance. Because, and it's the same in that culture today. And if you're studying anything about current times, you know that women... They have no rights over there. They're, not, they're even persona non grata. They don't even have a personality. They don't even have, they have no position whatsoever in those uh, ancient, and you, you probably, some of you have read up enough on that to know that, that that is the case even now. So anyway, the firstborn son is, is uh, uh, this is a principle that's, that, that, that they practice for years and years and years. And Hat was the one who was expected to receive the blessing of the inheritance. And it didn't matter if the man had two wives or not. It didn't matter which order those sons came, but the firstborn, whichever one it was, was the son of inheritance. Now, as they grew up, these differences in the boys were magnified. Going back to Genesis 25 now, and I want to read two verses there. If you're a note taker, this is going to be a this is going to be a heyday for you. Verse 27 says, The boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah, mom, loved Jacob. And if you only have two children in your family, you probably know what I mean. Esau became a man's man. Esau married much earlier than Jacob, who seemed to be more or less of a seeming mama's boy. I mean, 
the record of Jacob up until he was 77 tells us that he never really did leave home, up for that many years at least. And so I guess you could call him a mama's boy, right? I said 77, not 27. This had, some of you are just like, okay, we're going to light some fires here. We've got to get something going. This had an effect on the way that Isaac looked at them. He favored Esau. He liked Esau more. He wanted Esau to, he wanted Esau to receive the inheritance. He wanted to bring the blessing down on Esau. And it seemed like all of this, and according to the law, was the natural thing for him to do. Yet there were vast differences in the spirit of these two boys becoming men. This is quickly established, staying in uh, in uh, chapter 25, starting to read at verse 29. Let me read with you. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, mm, Esau came in from the open com- uh, country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And by the way, that's why he was also called Edom, because the word Edom translates red. I guess everything he did was red, okay? Jacob replied, well, first, sell me your birthright. Oops. Look, I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. I mean, I could eat a bear right now. What good is the birthright to me? I'm starving. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him. I want to tell you, human history hinged on that little encounter and on that little discourse. And it's never been the same since. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. From this we see a difference in the attitude toward the birthright. Whether he was serious or not, I don't know. (laughs) You know, sometimes you make a decision in life and you say, well, I don't know if I was serious about that or not, but you know, it was just too late to think about it after you've made the decision, right? Whether he was serious or not, Esau treated it in a spiteful way. What did he do? He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Imagine that. Handing over your inheritance. I mean, what's your inheritance going to mean? It's going to mean you are going to inherit the promised land and be able to take all your people with you, and you are going to be the bloodline of the Savior, are you hearing me, of the world. Can you imagine giving that up for a McDonald's Happy Meal? Equivalent. I, I can't quite grasp that. Perhaps he felt he could fend for himself anyway. Or maybe that his father would soften and he would never give the blessing away. Or maybe he thought, uh, the, the birthright, the blessing's not such a big deal. Maybe, maybe my father won't even give it to me. I mean, maybe he'll just decide to do something different. So Esau here is showing his shallow spirituality when it, when it, when it, when it comes to big decisions. Now, he did the same when it came to his choice of wives. I'm going back to Genesis 26. I want to read verses 34 and 5, and I want you to see something here about his ability, or not so much, to make choices. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, 
these were furners, and also Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. Hmm. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah in law. Problems didn't start last week, folks. Intermarriage problems didn't start a year ago. He knew, by the time he's 40, he definitely should have known that you don't marry, you know, outside of, of, of the family, so to speak, of the, of the race, of the, and, and, and so Esau makes this decision to marry a Hittite woman and then makes a second decision to marry another Hittite woman. Wow. So we're seeing now how shallow this man is. Who knows what these Hittite women did to irritate Isaac and Rebekah? I don't know. But I will tell you this, they were probably idol worshipers. They would have been probably quite arrogant about their their culture, thinking that they were going to inherit a whole truckload of goods from Isaac and Rebekah, guess again. And back then, the problem would have been exacerbated by the fact that they lived in very close proximity to one another. They were both Hittites. So they probably schemed and connived and all kinds of things. Therefore, from a spiritual point of view, you can't help but think that Jacob, second son, right, stood head and shoulders above Esau. Some people have even speculated that as he lived near home and among the tents, that he was able to listen to Abraham, his grandfather, and other believers in the early years of his life. And that kind of formed and fashioned who he became. Could it be? We don't have any biblical history on that. Uh, I think it's a good assumption. And from this point, apart from the law, Isaac should have some strong leanings toward Jacob. Esau was an arrogant man. He grew up to be a man consumed with the physical. He said, who cares about the birthright? I'm starving. Give me something to eat. Well, I won't give you anything to eat unless you sign off your birthright. Okay, where do I sign? Give me a bowl of stew. On the other hand, Jacob is a humble believer. And he isn't consumed with the physical. He's consumed with the spiritual. Yet scripture states that he primarily let his stomach determine who was going to be the chosen one. And since Esau was the outdoor man and he fed him good food, he loved Esau more than he did Jacob. Therefore, even in his old age, he was dead set on the blessing going to the older, the firstborn, as the law stated it should. And I realize that Isaac may seem like a fool in our eyes, seem like a seemingly fleshly process of of making decisions. Yet, our flesh is the same as his. Um, Case in point, how, how many of you, how many of you dated your spouse because of his or her faith? Okay, two. Um, Or was it the eyes? Or was it that figure that caught your eye? Well, what is it that impresses you about people? Is it their clothes? Is it their personality? Is it the car they drive? 
Or is it their faith? Why did you choose your profession? Was it so you could help others and just invest your life in helping them? And to ensure you would still have time with your family and your Lord? Or I should say maybe your Lord and your family? Or did you choose it so that you could afford a nice house and car? See, we are blindly obsessed with the physical. Mostly, if you add us all up, us, that's, that's inclusive, all of us, we'd probably come out on the meter as very shallow people. And we hate to admit this, and I know it's hard to, to swallow, and we're in church, so we're supposed to say all the right things, but we judge people by their hair, we judge, or lack of same, we judge people by their smell, we judge people by their clothes, we judge people by their possessions, we judge people by their station in life, we judge people, one of my favorites, is by their occupation. Oh, who's that guy? Oh, he's a lawyer. That's who he is? Oh, who's she? Where's she? Oh, she works at... No, that's not what I asked you. And we put so much emphasis on what people do for work or what they have for possessions or what kind of car they drive or what kind of clothes they wear. And you see, most of our decisions, just like Isaac's or just like Esau's, are decisions based on the physical much more than the spiritual. And I don't have to ask for an amen here, and I don't mind if I don't get any, even if I did ask. Because I'm just stating fact this morning. And as I've said hundreds of times in my time, I'm just telling the truth this morning. And I know the truth hurts. But you would not want me to stand up here and tell a lie because lies hurt much more. What I'm trying to do is make the connection between what motivated Jacob and what motivates us in the modern world. Not a lot of difference. Not a lot of difference. So even with the promise, in a sense, we become modern-day Isaacs, living as if we were blind and being driven by the stomach. And I think, yeah, I think the restaurant figures would bear that out. So next we'll ask, we ask, so what does the law say? Next I want to ask, what does the Lord say? In reality, the color of Esau's skin, or the order of his birth, coupled with the fact that Jacob was a homebody, had absolutely nothing, you can put this in your notes, nothing to do with who was going to get the blessing. While Rebecca was still pregnant with the twins, her stomach was really churning, and the babies inside of her were doing some major jostling so she asked the Lord, what's going on? And I bring you back to Genesis 25, and in verses 22 and 23, we see some stuff going on in this family before the boys are even born. So the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? Nobody here's ever said that, right? Nobody's ever said that. See, some things, as much as they change, they just don't change. They stay the same. 
So the boys are giving her a little more than indigestion, and she says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She wanted an answer. And the Lord said to her, now what would you say, ladies, if you had heard something like this? Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older, what, will serve the younger. Say that with me. And the older will serve the younger. Now, if you know human history, if you know what's happening in the world today, particularly in the Middle East, you can start connecting the dots. Wow. Wow. Before, you see, before they were even born... God had ordained that the law of the firstborn was going to be reversed this time. These two boys would develop into two nations. Nations that would have a reversal of power. He had chosen that Esau's people would serve Jacob's people. And it may not look like that's happening today because Jacob's people have been subservient for so many hundred years. But let me tell you, you can trust the promise of God and the word of God and Jacob's people will totally prevail in the days to come. In spite of what the common law was, and even though Esau was physically superior to Jacob, still Jacob's going to be the chosen one. And it doesn't matter if Isaac knew the prophecy or not, if he wanted with all of his heart to bless Esau. It didn't matter if Esau really wanted the blessing and would basically do anything to get it and tried his hardest, even though he had the blessing on the tip of his tongue, Isaac was not going to bless Esau. He didn't necessarily know that, but let me tell you again, God had ordained that it was not going to be that way, and Jacob was going to get the blessing because God chose it to be. Now, our human nature, being what it is, begs the age-old question, which is, why? Why? Why will it turn out this way? I mean, why did God choose Jacob instead of Esau to be the forerunner to our Savior and inherit the promised land? What made Jacob so special? It couldn't have been some physical attraction. We've already talked about that. Because Jacob, according to his physical characteristics, had nothing on Esau. Esau was the big and burly man's man, outdoor man, hunter man. It couldn't have been the law because Esau was the firstborn. Well, what about his faith? Is that why God chose him? Man of great spiritual stature and his faith was so unwavering? No, it wasn't that either. So where are we going to turn for an answer? I'm going to the rabbi. I'm saying, Paul, have you said anything about this? So I flip over to Romans chapter 9. And here are the words that we hear in verses 11 down to 15 and then on to 16. Yet, and this is Paul speaking now in the book of Romans. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, (coughs) not by works, but by him who calls, she, Rebecca, was told the older will serve 
the older will serve the younger. Good. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We're going to do the next verse. We're going to wait just a second to do it. Jacob was chosen, and this is the crux of the matter this morning, because God decided to have mercy on him and to call him. It was completely dependent on the call and the mercy of God. Can I understate that? No. Can I repeat it? Yes. It was completely dependent on the call and the mercy of God. The word of God had promised Rebecca, uh, Rebecca that Jacob was the chosen one. And in light of this, Paul, who knew that story, who was culturally and by birth related, if you will, to these people, understanding all of the history that had gone on here, Paul declares in Romans 9 and then verse 16, He says that receiving the blessing of God, it does not necessarily depend or therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's what? Mercy. But on God's mercy. This is not not works. This is not something that he's earned. This is not something that he even deserved. It doesn't depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now, We're at the point where I want you to start taking the personal, practical takeaway from today's message. I hope all that I've said thus far isn't totally Greek, because uh, most of it I've been preaching from Hebrew, not Greek. But I I hope you're understanding some of this and how it fits into history and how it fits into who you are, and I'm going to prove that in just a minute, and how it fits into your salvation, and how it fits into the story, that if it didn't happen, not one of us would be sitting in this place right now. Not one of us. So God's Word, the Bible, makes it very clear. God didn't choose you either. Because you really, really, really tried to know him and get close to him. God didn't choose you because he saw how faithful you were going to be. Or how moral you had already been. Those things are wonderful. God did not say to himself, oh, oh, hope he's not here today, but look at Jim down there. Oh, man, look at Jim. I guess I hadn't noticed him before. He's just seeking to know me and seeking to know me and seeking to know me. And oh, that Sally, she is so beautiful. She is so faithful. She is so strong in her belief. She has been so true to everything that she's been taught. Oh, my, I just can't believe. I just, I think I'll choose them to believe. I, for one, am glad that's not the way he did it. So then why did he do what he did for me? And for you. If God's choice is not 
influenced by your behavior, it has to ultimately go back to his own motivation. This is what we call mercy and grace. Mercy is God withholding from you what you deserve, and grace is God giving to you what you could never earn and certainly never deserve. So I'm all caught up and really am today in this whole thing of mercy, you'll have to excuse me, and grace. Hello? What is this church all about? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out for 18 years. So I'm just going to nail it down today. Two things. We're about mercy and grace. We need to realize where we've come from, who we are, how we got here, where we're going, how we get there. And for every single person that walks through these doors, we need to extend that same kind of acceptance and affirmation to them. That was weak. We need to extend that same kind of mercy and grace and love and acceptance and, and, and forgiveness to whoever walks through that door. Otherwise, we all walk the other way through the door as hypocrites. He wanted to give you something you didn't have. <laughs> Look, he wanted to give Jacob something he didn't have and was never going to have according to the law and never had even a chance to have it. That's the main difference between law and the gospel. The law says you have to earn what you get. And the principle of the gospel says you can't earn what you have. It's been given to you. And so in this text we see the principle that the promise supersedes the law. Even if something seems natural and seems according to the law, like God's choice, His gift of grace, according to the promise, gives gifts to those who don't have any rights to those. And in mercy, God just decided to make you what you are today. Praise His name! Hallelujah! Glory to God! Wow. I'm bursting inside, but I know I could never reach the excitement level that you're at right now. That would be death on wheels right there. But look, wow. In mercy, God made a choice to make you what you are today, this very moment. Woo! That's mercy and grace. Yet we need to keep in mind that he didn't do this with a club. He didn't hit us over the head like a caveman and said, Me, God, you Christian. Me, God, you Christian. Nobody was ever forced to be a Christian. He treated us like a man treats a woman that he wants to marry. First off, he wins the heart with love. I just can't get those songs out of my head. I'm sorry. I just want to keep referring to them, but I'll let you guys do that. Before the creation of the world, he determined when and how he was going to give us the blessing. At just the right time, he showed us a wonderful sacrifice that he'd made for us. Well, how? By becoming man. 
by identifying with mankind, with com- by coming in human flesh and blood like you, like me. And he showed us an awesome sacrifice that he went through on the cross of Calvary, taking our sins on his shoulders. He displayed his grace. He displayed his mercy. He displayed his love all through the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that doesn't light your fire. Your wood is terribly wet. Then his Holy Spirit said to me, you know what, Bob? I did this for you. You know what, Chris Staples? I did this, he said, for you. Oh, I did this for you. If you'd been the only person on the globe, he'd have done it for you. When you look at that cross and you see the power of all that sin, of all the world, of all time, of the entire human race, and you recognize your sin is in there too, weighing him down, you realize what a sacrifice was paid. What an awesome love. And I turned to him today and I said, why did you ever choose me? Why? Like Jacob, we say, Lord, I I didn't deserve this choice. I'm not worthy of such a calling. I'm not half the man Esau was. Yet in faith, our hearts and our voices say, thank you, Lord. I'll, I'll just choose to believe it. I'll just choose to accept it. I'll just choose to live it. Mm. It was through that, the wonderful message of the gospel, this unconditional love that God chose us. And he brought us into the, the circle, the family, if you will, of faith. Receiving the blessing in the end comes without any work of ours. That's what grace is all about. So pursue the blessing. So what does the law say? What did the Lord say? And third, what did Jacob say? Now, I'm sure there are a lot of Edomites who would accuse me of being as blind as Isaac. What Bible are you reading from, anyway, son? After all, can't you see how Jacob got the blessing? He didn't sit there and do nothing. He and Rebekah had to strive and work for it. He even had to lie for it. No. No, my friends, I'm not blind. The scriptures do mention much of the work of Jacob and Rebekah. As a matter of fact, let's look at it for a moment. So I'm going to take you over to Genesis 27. I'm going to start to read at verse 5. And if I could read six verses there, I'd really enjoy you taking these in. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. They had a little conversation. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father. Say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Ooh. Yes, mama. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father. Just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so he may give you his blessing before he dies. So that's what they did. Jacob even put goatskin on his hands and his neck. He wore Esau's clothes. He probably even disguised his voice in order to smell and sound like Esau. 
And when Isaac asked him in verse 19 of the same chapter how he killed the animal so quickly, he even went so far as to say, the Lord your God gave me success. That was in verse 20. And when again Isaac asked him, is this really Esau? Verse 24, Jacob flat out lied and said, yes, I am Esau. And after this flat out lie, then Isaac finally gave him the blessing. Now here's what he said in uh, Genesis 27, starting at verse 27. Ah, ah. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. And may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And may those who curse you be cursed. And those who bless you be blessed. That was the blessing. By the way, Genesis 27, 29 is the turning point of human history. Nothing has ever been the same since that blessing was pronounced on Jacob. There are some, even some of the old Reformed theologians, who like to justify the lie. They say, well, you know, God helps those who... Yeah, I can remember taking cookies from the cookie jar, and I used to quote that to my mother, and she said, yeah, and God help those who get caught helping themselves. But um, that's what some people believe. They say the blessing needs to be taken by force. If if you hadn't done something, then Esau would have been sure to receive the blessing, and and, and you need to go after that blessing, and you you can't just sit there and do nothing, hoping God will somehow come to you and rescue you. Now, my friends, I want to say this that it takes a lot of stretching to look at those lies in a very good light. You can't overlook them. It seems like trying to put a a, a suit and bow tie on a pile of rotting garbage and spraying it with perfume and saying, now, that doesn't seem so bad. Go give it a kiss. (laughs) Now, really, does it seem right to lie and and to cheat in order to get the blessing? Isn't this the same rational? Now, you say, oh, no, those people, bad, 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 bad. Let's let's just... Let's just stop judging and listen for a minute. Isn't that the same rationalization that people use today? Huh? To justify sinful actions and sinful lifestyles and stuff they know is wrong by God's standard, but you know, they just they, they can justify it and rationalize. In Romans chapter 3, verse 8, you want to write it down if you're a note taker. Paul calls this attitude something worthy of condemnation. He said, to do evil that good may result. And that would kind of describe what's happening here with Rebecca and Jacob. Looking back, we see that there are many gifts that God has given without any striving on the part of man. Like, let's, take the, let's just take the example of Mary. Mary didn't have to lie to anybody to become impregnated with the Son of God. Jesus didn't have to speak one lie... Or, or perform one deception to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. 
The Apostle Paul didn't have to do anything to seek God's blessing. Oh, well, except hunt down and kill God's people. Yet God's mercy was able to perform and work through all these situations because, listen to this very carefully, God's grace works in spite of men. The big sign of grace in this story is the fact that God still blessed Jacob in spite of his lying, in spite of his deceitfulness. God still blessed that deception with the blessing of the Savior. Say, do you understand that? I will remind you. Contrary to your belief, I am not God. Do I understand it? No. Do I have to understand it? No. Did God ordain it? Yes. Did God enact it? Yes. Did God employ mercy and deploy grace? Yes. So I don't have to understand it. I just have to see how God works here. This is just another example of the grace of our God. Now, bringing it to us today as Christians, now we're living several thousand years after chapter one of Jacob's life. We have a similar situation, really. We, uh, God has revealed his blessings to us, his blessing of forgiveness, blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of forgiveness. I, I, are you over that yet? I, 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 I just can't get over that. The blessing of forgiveness. Well, the one thing I can't understand is how we're so readily acceptable of the forgiveness of God and looking for it at all times. <laughs> and so reticent to share that with others who need our forgiveness. You forgive because you're forgiven. See, we have similar situations today, don't we? God's revealed his blessings to us already. We know what the blessing is. It's a blessing of forgiveness. It's a blessing of life and life eternal. It's a blessing of salvation in Jesus Christ through his gospel. He's already given us all those things with words of promise. You know, we baptize some people. Lately, we've baptized a number of people. And we, we say they're not just some kind, of a, some kind of a traditional thing that we must repeat, but we say buried in the likeness of Christ and rising to walk in newness of life. Wasn't that exciting last week? Wasn't that exciting several weeks ago? Because every time I get to say those words, rising to walk in newness of life, I'm thinking of the promise of the blessing. Hey, even when we gather here for the Lord's Supper, he said, this is my body. This is my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. This do ye as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what I can earn. It's not about how many points I have accumulated. It's all about him and his mercy and his grace. We don't have to lie either or connive to receive them. We don't have to put on goat skin. And speak in different voices. We don't have to prepare a meal. This isn't the apprentice show. 
where we have to try and impress our Lord by downgrading other people so that we can get promoted up to heaven. And we're going for sure. We don't know about those other people. Come on, people. We simply come as filthy sinners. We come to the foot of the cross where the ground is level. And God gives us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we do is come and listen. And all we do is come and taste. And all we do is come and take and thank and thank and thank. I wonder which is the greater sin. The lying and deception of Jacob and Rebekah to get the blessing? Or the indifference on the part of so many people today who just take blessings for granted? Even Christian people. I say both of those things are sinful. My friend, I want to remind you that I, if you've been ignoring this gift, I want to extend to you a heartfelt invitation. If you have been despising the blessing, the biggest and the greatest message we have in this story of Jacob, the heel holder, is that God blesses us, listen, not based on how red or how hairy we are or how impressive we are or how great we think we are or how zealous we are or how hardworking we are, even how conniving we are, but on how gracious He is. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Wow. In spite of our sin, in spite of our lack of zeal, God still says to me, still says to you today, if you've lied, if you've cheated, if you've been arrogant, come anyway. Jesus didn't die for the righteous. He said it himself. He came for sinners. Repent of your sin and believe that Jesus died for that sin. Believe that all is forgiven and all is forgiven on the cross of Christ. And you have the promise of a promised land in heaven. You can get those blessings through simple faith, enacting, if you will, the very great grace of God. You've already been hired by the blood of Christ. It's already been shed for you. It doesn't have to be shed again. He doesn't have to go to the cross again. We don't have to have another Golgotha. We don't have to have another Calvary. We don't have to have another borrowed tomb. We don't have to have another waiting to see, is He really coming back? You say, when I come to Christ, does that mean everything's going to just be rosy? Can I just tell you, from my experience and the experience of many, many people long before me, it's not necessarily always an easy path. And we're going to see that as we continue in this series, if you're up to doing that in the coming series. But it's a blessed path. It's a, pla a path that's already received the blessing of God. And it's the path that God has given to you. And it's the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the kindness and the love of God that will capture you. Don't forget this, because it's the foundation to the future. So nail down your future today. 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 You've been pursuing the blessing. The blessing has been assured. The blessing has been bought and paid for and stamped paid in full. The blessing is now yours just take it for yourself. And I want to add a word here before 
we move on and worship team, you can prepare to, to come or if you have a, something that we're going to play after, whichever. In the seat near you, in front of you, around you somewhere, there's probably a connect card. And if you're here today and you've never pursued the blessing, you've never taken hold of the grace and the mercy and the salvation of God, and now you're starting to see it, or maybe now you did see it, or maybe now you hear the Spirit of God saying, today is your day. Today is your day. And it's not dependent on what you've done or haven't done or where you've been or who you've been with. It isn't dependent on that at all. It's all about what I've done for you long before you even recognized it. And it's free for the taking. But you must take it. And all I'm going to ask you to do, not going to put you out or embarrass you or shame you in front of anyone else, is just go put your name on the front of the card and on the back of the card, if it's a matter of coming to Christ today, you want to become a follower of Jesus, you want to know more about that relationship with Jesus, you want to know how to grow as a Christian, whatever it might be, let us know that. Give us that information. And leave the card in one of the baskets in the entryway or give it to one of us. Give it to Pastor Todd. Give it to me. And watch God bless. The Heal Holder series will, be all, will all be about pursuing the blessing and living in the blessing. God bless you. I want to say this from my heart. Thank you for listening. Thank you for trying to get it. Thank you. And, and those of you that say, well, I'd like to just keep reading. Just go back to Genesis 25 and start. You don't have to read all seven chapters in the next two days, but just maybe a chapter a day as a week. And just kind of get familiar with the flow and what's happening here. We've given you a lot to start with, but there's a lot more to come. God bless you. Thank you again. I love you. And I'm looking forward to studying more of God's work in and through the man, Jacob. Jacob.